Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Low Blow Booking Podcast. My name is Derek Cornett coming at you live and in living color on your mobile listening devices, coming at you through iTunes, coming at you through Podbean. It is the Low Blow Booking Podcast. And ladies and gentlemen, tonight, what a monumental moment for the Low Blow Booking Podcast. We are going to finish the trilogy. We started it months ago, myself and Dave Hall. We looked at the Royal Rumble 1988, and we wanted to change the scope of the WWF in 1988. We liked some things. We didn't like some things. We wanted to make it what we thought was better, and you guys as listeners have definitely supported us. We've gotten some great feedback on the show, but now it is time to cap it on. When Dave Hall and I looked back at 1988, we started with the Royal Rumble and we changed it from top to bottom. We looked at a three-hour event, a 30-man Royal Rumble, and it was capped off when Randy Macho Man Savage comes in and wins the Royal Rumble, and he wins the opportunity to go to WrestleMania 4 and wrestle for the undisputed WWF Heavyweight Championship of the World. And then myself and Jeffrey Jalka, we took WrestleMania 4 out of the Trump Plaza and put it down in New Orleans, in the Superdome, in front of thousands of people. The main event, Randy Savage versus Ted DiBiase for the Undisputed Championship. We went through the history and what got us to that event. We talked about the undercard on that show with Andre the Giant and Hulk Hogan, along with Demolition and some of the other big players at the time. Well, now it's been a long summer, ladies and gentlemen, and here we go with SummerSlam 1988 live from Madison Square Garden, and with me, my very special, close, personal friend, one of the founding fathers of the Place to Be, one of the founding fathers of the Place to Be Nation, the co-host of the Place to Be podcast. He is one of the most influential and well-known men in podcasting, in wrestling, sports, and entertainment. He is the guru of random knowledge about random stadiums all throughout the world. Ladies and gentlemen, Scott Criscolo. Wow. Uh, Mr. Cornette, uh, I, I feel that this moment needed to happen Absolutely. in this universal timeline. Uh, the moment that you and I uh, would talk wrestling together on a show. Now, you've been with us on the Place to Be podcast, and uh, now it is an honor to walk here into your house, into your booking room, with uh, a whole new outlook on a, on a time in history. And uh, I thank you, and I thank your fans uh, for the chance to uh, to join you here to cap off uh, eight incredible months of wrestling in 1988 in the World Wrestling Federation. And, uh, you know, this was my, uh, you know, wheelhouse of being a fan. And uh, I'm ready. And if you need any random uh, facts, uh, this is the fourth Madison Square Garden building. <laughs> uh, they, it moved around all around Manhattan. This one's been open since 1967. It may be moving out if uh, the city has their way because Penn Station needs to be re, uh, redone. But um, I, I, I have to say, and I listened to the first two, and you and Dave and Jeff did an unbelievably great job. Um, and uh, I liked that you moved WrestleMania 4 out of that weird convention hall, which had, like, risers, and put it in the Superdome. I thought that was a fantastic idea. And we'll talk more about that as we move forward. But it is a pleasure to be here. And uh, uh, I'm ready, man. Yeah. It feels like a long time coming, and uh, we've arrived. 
Absolutely. And, and uh, you know, to let some people know, we had some technical difficulties the first time. And I'm going to say this again because I want people to hear it. And, you know, Scott, you and I have been working together uh, for it's almost been six years, almost seven years at this point. Yeah. Um, you know, we've disagreed on some things. We've had some some discussion, some debate. And uh, like we've talked about in the past, it comes down to the passion of what we do. And, uh, you know, I want to tell you that I have spent so many hours in my car and so many hours listening to the Place to Be podcast. What you and Justin have done, what you've committed your time to, it, it has driven me to want to do something similar, um, you know, in retrospect to uh, what I enjoy about pro wrestling. And, and that's why I'm here. That's why I invested my time and my money in the Low Blow Booking podcast. And I want to present uh, and, and make people feel the way I feel when I can go back to, uh, you know, 1988 and I can download those four podcasts put them in my car and listen to them on a trip to Illinois, uh, you know, listen to them on a trip to Minnesota or wherever I'm going. Um, you know, it, it's been something that has allowed me to make my drives easier, make my life more enjoyable. So I want to thank you for that. I want to thank you for all your hard work and, uh, you know, I appreciate it immensely. Well, thank you, DC. And, uh, it's been a lot of fun. I mean, I've, I mean, Justin and I have done 359 episodes of the Place to Be podcast, and, you know, we've branched out. Uh, I've been doing a show called Place to Be Nation's Main Event, um, and uh, he's been doing, obviously, the Kevin Kelly show, and uh, it, it's been great, and, and your show is really, has really taken off. And, uh, you know, man, we go back to 2007 and, and, the, and the, the, the Place to Be message board where we had our little, you know, we had our little, uh, our, our reviews, and, and, uh, but I tell you, man, and I know it's coming to an end, and I, I'm kind of sad for it. Actually, I'm very sad for it. Uh, your unbelievable territory wars were so much fun to read, uh, and you've gotten me through some, uh, let's say, less than exciting days at work in the summertime, <laughs> sitting, <laughs> listening to a podcast and reading the territory wars. You got it. uh, It's amazing. And... Getting back to, quickly, I know we we got a lot to go over, so I'm going to be very brief here. Um, when it comes to debating wrestling, yeah, no, you and I never don't not never agree. We we don't agree on a few things, but that that's all. That's what it's about. Who wants to sit in a podcast and go, yeah, that's cool. Yep, yep, yeah, I like that was a great match. Yeah, I agree. Yep, yep. And then what? What the hell wants to listen to that for two hours? <laughs> you know, it's it, to me, it's about character. You know, there are some people on our on our uh, live chats page on Facebook and on some of our other threads that that are, let's put it this way, less of character than others. But I've always considered you a stand. You've always been a stand up guy, and it was a pleasure to finally meet you face after years of doing things with years. you. Pleasure to finally meet you face to face at WrestleMania twenty nine. Um, sorry, we sapped the energy out of your battery. Uh, but, <laughs> it worked but, out uh, well in the end. It worked. Thank out you well. to uh, Jay Wimet and. Uh, I think his brother or cousin or somebody's uh, it was band. His, I think it was his, was his cousin. I think it was his cousin. Yeah. Uh, to get you to get you jacked up and ready to go, and that was it. And it, I've always loved that show. I know on paper it probably wasn't great, and uh, when we did the lost introduction, it's like the lost episode. Our <laughs> lost introduction, we talked about that that card. Um, but that weekend was great. You know, we all the things we did, Ring of Honor, the Hall of Fame, and then when we all got together that Sunday, um, and uh, you're you're a PTB original. I, I, Derek, I, so I appreciate that. You're a PTB original. Of course, so, uh, I, Scott's talking about Bigelow34.proboards.com. It's uh, indeed. where this where this whole thing kind of started, this friendship between myself, uh -huh. Scott, and Justin. Um, you know, they, they gave me a canvas, and they said, 
do work. And for six and a half years, I've been doing some fantasy writing, some fantasy wrestling booking. And uh, I'm coming up in May on my 300th consecutive Monday Night Raw. Um, wow. I have not missed a beat. Uh, Derek LaRue can attest to it. I, I put forth a quality product every week, and it's something that's important to me. Um, I think I've written over 470 shows combined um, in that time. And literally every Monday night for the past six years of my life, I have uh, written something up, went on Bigelow34.ProBoards.com, added HTML, and put it out there for the world. And, uh, you know, that's coming to an end uh, in May. Myself, Dave Hall, and uh, one of the PTB members, uh, Random One, we've, we've been doing it. And uh, it's coming to an end because uh, there's going to be some different things on the horizon. Uh, the Low Blow Booking podcast is going to be expanding in May, myself and Dave Hall are going into a partnership, and we're gonna we're gonna make this thing explode. Um, we're gonna be doing some unlimited podcasts and coming at you hopefully two times a month. Um, Dave lives in Australia, so we're gonna get some time things figured out, but uh, we're gonna be coming at you. And I'm I'm telling you what, we have got a Google Doc full of some awesome awesome ideas. Uh, you know, just to give you a hint at a couple of them. You know, what would it be like in 1997 if Bret Hart didn't leave the WWF? Um, we're, we're definitely going to be coming back uh, with another idea. Patrick Fenton and I have been talking about um, what if we did talent trades in, like, 1992 and we took, like, three guys like Bret Hart and uh, maybe the Road Warriors and, and took them and put them into uh, WCW. And then we took guys like maybe Brian Pillman, Steve Austin, and, um, I don't know, somebody like Vader and brought them into the WWF. What would it look like if we did a talent trade? And then, of course, Dave Hall and myself plan on doing um, our summit shows. Our next one is coming out next month. It's the 1990 Summit WWF versus NWA, headlined by a Royal Rumble with 15 entrants per promotion. Um, and you guys listen to the Royal Rumble 1988 podcast with us. Dave and I are going to go through in detail what happens in this show and, and who goes triumphant to start out the new decade. Um, and that's just a taste of what we're going to be doing. I'm so excited. Uh, Scott, you know, like I said, you guys gave me a, a push for this and, and it's going to be great. I'm looking forward to the next, uh, next year of, uh, putting my ideas out there on the, on the airwaves. So, well, that's, that's, a uh, those, that's fantastic. I, I love the whole, uh, 15 and 15 from each, um, from each, uh, uh, promotion. That's kind of cool. I kind of dig that. Uh, I've always thought about, I'm looking forward to this whole, what if Brett stayed after Montreal? I, I'm looking forward to that because I'm curious to see what, what uh, direction you have. I mean, is Austin still the man? What happens with Sean? I mean, do, does Brett keep the belt that night? Is Sean, does he leave? I'm, I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to your guys' uh, uh, direction on that. It's going to be a lot of fun. I like is, that idea. It has been some very interesting pre-production at this point. And uh, I, I can't wait to see how it goes. Um, another one, I've got to tell you guys about this because I just listened to the Battle Bowl 91 podcast um, over there with the big boys play. And they really, uh, yes. didn't, they really didn't like it. And, I, you know, I'm a, I like to consider myself a naive fan at heart. I love it. I love the Battle Bowl. I love the concept. I thought it was amazing. So Dave Hall and myself are going to do a Battle Bowl in 1993 with the WWF in the spring, and uh, <laughs> we're actually going to randomly draw the names. 
Like not That's awesome. No pre-production. I'm going to go through the list of 40. We're going to draw the names, book the event, legit battle bowl style and figure out who uh who's going on to face Yokozuna. Wow. <laughs> fascinating it's it's gonna be pretty exciting you know then that's that's what this is all about uh the low blow booking podcast looking at different angles different ideas different years different feuds and uh we're gonna be expanding it's gonna be awesome and uh you know it starts with things like this you know we're capping off the 1988 trilogy um you know scott uh i'm looking forward to it um i would sit here and talk to you for hours and um the one thing i did want to put out there that we didn't get a chance to uh that didn't go live with us is I did ask you what was your favorite title belt and we had some little discussion about this and I actually went and did some research on it and uh, I still stand by mine but let the fans out there know as a belt enthusiast what is your favorite title belt of all time well I have four I own four belts let me preface by saying that I own the what I consider the Harley race belt uh, the NWA world championship belt which is the little globe Uh, I own the big gold belt which I bought God. God, when the hell did I buy that? 1999. Uh, I have the Attitude Globe, the Attitude Era belt, which is right behind me, and the uh, the WCW US title from like 90, I don't know, like 96 to the end. Mm-hmm. And that was used, I guess, during the invasion. Um, I would say my two favorite belts are probably the NWA Harley Race belt and the uh, Intercontinental title belt, the original. Or the one that I guess is used now. And I don't mind the white leather. I've always been weird about leather. I'm not as much now. You know, remember the Ultimate, the ultimate Warrior used to have chicle, uh, used to have uh, Skittles colored belts. Yeah. So actually, uh, uh, Sean did too for a time in 93. Um, I think my coolest leather was when Goldust had the gold leather oh, yeah, with the IC one. title in 96. I love that belt. When right. it kind of meshed together into one color. I thought that was sweet. But I would say the IC belt... The original IC belt, the NWA world title, which I guess the years would be 70, probably like 73 to 86, I guess, and uh, the Attitude Globe world title. Those are probably my three favorite belts. Awesome. I, uh, yeah. I, you know, we talked about this and I told you that my favorite was the, um, the NWA television championship. Yes, uh, the red belt. Worn by Arn Anderson and Tully Blanchard, uh, uh-huh. one of my favorite belts of all time. I have always enjoyed the Intercontinental title um, and the uh, Mid-South North American Heavyweight Championship, which is, it's three rectangles that are pretty much the size of a man's midsection. Um, yeah, <laughs> they, they, they're like big shoeboxes. <laughs> <laughs> it's awesome. Uh, Magnum yeah. TA has got a famous picture with it. Um, you know, and, and that really kind of builds into what we're talking about here um, because there was a new belt introduced at WrestleMania four. Um, the Winged Eagle makes its uh-huh. uh, initial appearance in the WWF, and of course, at that event, myself and Jeffrey Jelka, we went back and uh, we talked about um, what we wanted to change. We went away from the, the tournament idea. Um, to go over some quick results here, we had the Ultimate Warrior defeating Hercules, Butch Reed defeating Brutus Beefcake, uh, Greg the Hammer Valentine defeating Ricky the Dragon Steamboat, Hacksaw Jim Duggan over Harley Race. Demolition defeated Strike Force for the World Tag Team Titles. The Junkyard Dog defeated the One Man Gang. Bad News Brown defeated Don Morocco. Bam Bam Bigelow defeated the Honky Tonk Man by Countout. Rick Rude defeated Jake Roberts. The Rougeau Brothers actually defeated the Hearts, and we actually had done a double turn by, by this point. Um, Andre the Giant versus Hulk Hogan. Hogan beat Andre, put his career on the line in order to get a title shot down the line. 
We're going to bring that back up here in a little bit. The Killer Bees and the British Bulldogs defeated the Islanders and the Bolsheviks. And, of course, the main event, Randy Macho Man Savage, the winner of the Royal Rumble, defeated Ted DiBiase for the world title. Um, so coming out of that show, um, even looking back and doing some more research, there's definitely a couple things that um, maybe could have switched, maybe could have been different. Obviously, with a guy like Butch Reed leaving the company after this event, maybe it would have been better to move some stuff around with him. But um, regardless, you know, we're sticking to it. That's what our show was. And uh, just a couple weeks later, we go to Saturday night's main event on April 30th. Now, at this point, um, we've got, what do we got? Superstars Wrestling Challenge. Um, was All-American still going at this point? Yes. Yep. All-American okay. was. Yep. So, that used to be on, let's see, super, at least where I lived. I'm not sure how the times were, uh, well, you were what, two? Yeah. <laughs> I was two All right, years well, let, me, let me use my reference point. Actually, um, I was actually only one and a half when this when we're doing this. So. <laughs> I see, I see. Um, when I was a kid, Superstars was on 11 a.m. on Saturday mornings. That was Action um, Zone for me. Yeah. Challenge was somewhere during the weekend. I don't remember when, though. All-American was noon on Sundays on USA. And then, of course, primetime, which was uh, Monday nights at night. Which, yep. of course, as we all know, was the precursor to Raw. Mm -hmm. So I got my fix from Saturday to Monday of, I think Challenge might have been Sunday morning too, maybe like at 10. Mm -hmm. But I definitely remember Superstars was Saturday mornings at 11. Uh, All-American was Sundays at noon. And then primetime, of course, was. And then, of course, there was this science main event. Now, uh, I don't, not to, I don't want to cut your, 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 your uh, stream of consciousness. This, but I don't know if we have an arena chosen. I don't for this science made of it. You know what? I can look. We could try, we could be legit here. Let me uh, let me take a look and uh, see if we have a Wait, venue. Can you guess where it was? Let's see if you can guess where it was, and then I'll let you know where it was actually at. I've got it pulled up right now. Oh, okay. Uh, I'm gonna say. Let's see. I'm gonna say April thirtieth, eighty-eight. Um, uh, Grand Rapids, Michigan. I don't know. <laughs> Somewhere in the Midwest, I'll say. It's actually in Springfield, Massachusetts, at the Springfield oh, wow. Civic Center. Oof, place a dump. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but wow, that was interesting. Okay, I never thought they had a science main event in Springfield. Yeah. I used to always remember that there were science main events and superstar tapings. In South Bend, Indiana, because you used to see the oh, yeah. the, Notre, the Notre Dame banners hanging from the rafters, the, <laughs> the basketball ones. But um, okay, so we're in uh, we're right in my backyard. Yeah. You know? So and, so, and on that show originally, Jim Duggan defeated Hercules, Brutus mm -hmm. Beefcake defeated Danny Davis, Randy Savage defeated the One Man Gang to retain his title, Demolition defeated the British Bulldogs um, by disqualification, uh -huh. Ted DiBiase defeated Don Morocco. What a waste. And then Rick Rude annihilated Coco Beware, who I know is a J-fave, um, but, you know, Coco really wasn't too hot in my eyes. But, uh, no, no, no. And this was his job, yep. literally. <laughs> so uh, when we look at this show, we actually kept a lot of it, um, or most of it, the same way, except for one thing, and that was, if you guys remember from WrestleMania 4, we actually had Demolition, Axe, and Smash. Um, they actually turned face, pseudo-face, and it's at this event that we really kind of start to, to mold that thing in. Uh, we actually put in the Islanders at this point. Uh, Demolition versus uh, the Islanders for the tag team titles. Demolition goes over. Uh, Fuji uh, is not there. He gets irate. He gets upset. Demolition has now become full-fledged babyfaces. And 
While they are doing that, there's another team on the block. And that team is the Warlord and the Barbarian, the Powers of Pain. Now we'll give Graham Cawthon a shout out. I went to the history of WWE.com. Over the summer of 1988, the Powers of Pain, as faces, were defeating the heel demolition in uh, countouts and disqualifications on the house show circuit. Here we're actually going to be building the Powers of Pain up. We're going to be building them up to a, a big showdown with Demolition down the line. Um, we've talked a little bit about Brutus Beefcake. He's kind of siphoning away from this feud simply because Butch Reed is not there anymore. Uh, One-man gang um, comes in, gets a nice uh, shot against Randy Savage. We'll see how that plays out. Um, Ted DiBiase, of course, still uh, you know stretching his skin and, and letting everybody know that he is the man defeating a guy like Don Morocco. And Rick Rude defeating Coco Beware simply because we need to push this angle that we're about to explode with for Rick Rude. Um, and what I wanted to talk about with the TV shows is we've got so much television that we can start to really put some of these big things out there. Now, when we move forward, we're going to be going to WrestleFest uh, on July 31st, and that was held in Milwaukee. That was County Stadium, correct? Yes, that was County Stadium, home of the Brew Crew. And and every once in a great while, a Packer game. Um, yes, I, right? What was it, maybe one game a year? I, I believe think they went to Milwaukee? It, it was. My mom and my grandma actually went to a lot of them when they were growing up because um, my mom's from Milwaukee, which is why I'm a Packer fan. Uh-huh. Um and I'm not going to rub it in, but the Packers did beat the Cowboys. But yes, but then you but then you blew a 16 point lead oh, on Sunday. So. Yeah, gosh, that was pathetic. Um, <laughs> Which we might not even have had if we played the Seahawks. So. <laughs> um, so. Regardless, uh, you know, deflated balls and uh, <laughs> oh god, what a mess. <laughs> anyway, happy that you're going to the Pro Bowl. Or that we have that we have quarterbacks in the Pro Bowl. <laughs> uh, so. So here we go. We, we're going to WrestleFest. Now, Scott, the reason why I uh, I threw the curveball, because Derek Lurie was actually going to come with me on this show, is I was driving home from Illinois one day, and I was listening to the 1988 podcast, and WrestleFest was on, and you, you and Justin started to talk about some things that you would do differently. And literally, in the car, I got on Facebook while I was driving. That's not good. Um, and I texted Derek, and I said, Derek, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try and talk to Scott and see if he wants to do this show. Um, because of some of the, I could just tell you had the itch to, oh man, I kind of want to change some stuff and, and you and Justin talked about it a little bit. So that's why I wanted to give you the canvas of what we have here, um, this evening. Well, I appreciate that. Um, I, and I, I, it's when you asked me, I was even more motivated, uh, once I heard what you were, what you and Jeff did with WrestleMania four, because, um, as, as no one's a bigger mark for tournaments than me. I love tournaments. Because tournaments, A, create new champions and create new storylines from within mm-hmm. a tournament. But the WrestleMania 4 tournament seems like such a colossal waste. <laughs> and um, the fact that you rebooked it and ditched it, I thought was a was a revolutionary idea. And uh, and I said, oh, man, we just opened the floodgates to just so many new ideas and, and uh, you know, how to, how to get to the garden using a completely different highway mm-hmm. than than was originally booked in 1988. So that's what that's what got me excited. And when you said, hey, you, I, I, I jumped at the chance. Yeah. Uh, I'm, and uh, once we talked about WrestleFest, which we'll talk about in a minute, uh, I said, wow, now we have a couple of other avenues which, which with, with which we can kind of maneuver. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I remember that podcast very well. And I remember Justin and I, and even afterwards, we were like, man, so much is missing. So much is missing that could go from that to even to SummerSlam, and 
and I'm glad I've had the opportunity. I'm ready. Yeah. All right, so let's go through this a little bit. Um, I'm going to talk about some of the angles that we've done, and I'm going to give you – I know that you've got one big one that, um, that, that you thought up, and I want to throw that your way. Um, uh-huh. So let's go through this. Let's start. We're going to do WrestleFest real quick. We're going to spend a little bit of time on it because this is literally like our go-home show for – I mean, this is our Monday Night Raw to go home for the pay-per-view, even uh-huh. though they're, they're 30 days apart. Because um, I want I want these matches that we show here at WrestleFest to go out on the on the videos, um, but I also want them to be talked about on the television shows. Right. Um, so we've got from April 30th to July 31st. So we've got three months to build of this show. Uh-huh. Um, on that time, we're continuing some of these angles. Let's start with um, as we go down the line here. The first one is the Rougeos. They have now turned heel, full on heel. Um, Jimmy Hart is in their corner. He is, uh, you know, talking about moving them to America, talking about these guys being uh, all-American boys, just really pushing them over the top. Um, and we're going to have them going uh, going over the Killer Bees in, uh, you know, really fun opener. I think this is kind of the swan song for the Bees. Yeah, I mean, as we see in the Federation over the next few months, uh, you're going to see an influx of, of unbelievable tag team talent and the killer bees window of opportunity was like march of 86 to like january of 88 and they got a couple of title matches here and there but the rujos freshly minted heels this was a great match uh i would i would give them oh god i mean obviously match times are are are, are relative in the based on the era but i would have given these guys 17 18 minutes yeah uh, and just go to town, and uh, I think we would have had a good, uh, you know, heat segment with a lot of double teaming. On I'm trying to think who the face in peril was. Was it was it Brunzel? That he was he mostly the face. I, I think look, I, I think, think so. He was a, match. I'm trying to think who the face in peril used to be. He was a better. He was better in my opinion. Brunzel was. He was trained better. I know that. Um, well, he was. He was in Vern Vern yeah. Gagne's, uh You know, five below barn. <laughs> And uh, he was in the class with Iron Sheik and Flair and those guys, so clearly. Being trained um, by the man in which my grandma, Donna, did date and probably um, was intimate with, and that was, of course, the legendary English grappler, uh, the hooker, the shooter, Billy Robinson. Billy Robinson, really? Yes. Wow, that's that's something new that I've never learned. Oh, man. And wow. I, I could listen to my grandma tell me the stories all day because, um, segue, uh, the AWA used to come uh, from Minneapolis. They'd go, uh, you know, through Wisconsin. They'd go to Milwaukee. Then they would stop at Rockford, uh, Illinois, at Boylan High School, and then they would go down to Peoria. And I think sometimes maybe down by St. Louis, but not too much. But then they would come back up through. And my grandma lived in Rockford, worked in Peoria, um, was going to school there, and she actually would um, hang out with Billy. Um, they went up to Milwaukee, and she got to meet the Crusher and the Bruiser. Um, got to meet Bobby Heenan. She said uh, Nick Bockwinkel was uh, the most handsome man in the world. Um, one of my one of my favorite all time heels, and, Nick Bockwinkel. You know, and just to listen to her talk about that. I mean, you're talking uh, the '70s, and this is the heyday of the AWA. Um, oh yeah. And my aunt Judy, who passed away, um, she actually dated Greg Gagne. So it was it was pretty cool to to listen listen to him talk about that. Um, wow, just Look at great you. stuff. Great stuff. I would wow. love to. I'm gonna. I'm gonna try and record it at some point and, and put it on here uh, for people to listen to. She she's just got great details to it, so um, it's awesome. But back to the show. <laughs> Since yes. we're in Milwaukee, 
Um, killer bees go down to the Rougeos. We have big things planned for the Rougeos because if you remember uh, back to WrestleMania, they uh, they had a pretty big upset over the Hart Foundation. Um, Brett and the Anvil, you know, definitely two guys uh, that have cemented their legacy, but um, we need some more guys coming up, and uh, with the Rougeos, we need to cement them in a good spot, and that's what we've done on TV building up to this moment, but uh, we put them with the Killer Bees at this at this avenue, um, have them go over uh, pretty strong. The next uh, match on the card is we have this new guy from Cobb County, Georgia. He is the boss man, the big boss man, and, uh, you know, straight no-nonsense. This guy is is got the Sid Justice push. He's destroying people week in and week out on television. He comes out, destroys Scott Casey here in front of uh, thousands of people at Milwaukee County Stadium. Um, to, needless to say, he's got money written all over him. He is green in the right way. Oh, yeah. Yeah, this is a quickie. I would say this match is no more than, you know, four and a half, five minutes. Just a just an easy squash. Yeah. Um, boss man, uh, had that, uh, that, that charisma of being just a typical Southern, you know, prejudiced, (laughs) (laughs) uh, uh, you know, corrections officer. And it, it, it really fit perfectly. It was a good, it was a, it was a good heel for that era. And, uh, um, he comes here with all these Northern beer, beer, sausage eating beer drinkers. And he's, he's sitting here with the, you know. Uh, with the nightstick, and he beats the hell out of KCD after the match. Throws some jabs of the, the into his ribs, and yeah, no, he's he's getting the crowd. This is a perfect spot for this match too, because he really fires the crowd up and gets some ornery as uh, as our show progresses. But yeah, I would say this match is no more than four and a half, five minutes, and just a just a good squash to really put his character over and and keep the train moving. Absolutely. Um, uh, now going back to real life, there's one feud that starts up at this point. We've got it back at Saturday night's main event. Um, Jim Duggan, or I, I believe it's Andre the Giant, it's on an episode of Superstars, Andre calls out any wrestler in the back, and Duggan comes out, and I believe Duggan, does he hit him in the face with the 2x4 and bust him open? Do you do you remember this angle at all? I Vaguely, but I do, I do remember that Andre and Duggan had a run uh, in the late spring, early summer. I don't remember the 2x4 to the face, though. I, but I thought, I thought he had... He, he did something I remember, and it's on an episode of Super Surge. I got to go back and watch it. I've got some of them taped, and uh, it's a great, it's a great moment. And it's kind wow. of the first time somebody really stood up to Andre. Like Hogan, of course, did it, but you you expect that. Um, you know, Duggan comes out and says, you know, fuck you, I'm gonna come up and get in your face. And um, it ignited a feud. They had a pretty decent feud at this point in time. Definitely on the house shows, they were doing some lumberjack matches, stuff like that. Um, right. But we're actually going to. Um, add in another element to this, and that's Brutus the Barber Beefcake. Um, if you remember back at WrestleMania, Brutus and uh, was kind of getting involved with Slicks guys, and uh, you know, with Butch Reed leaving, with the One Man Gang kind of getting tied up in some other things, we're actually going to transition Brutus over to a feud with the Heenan family. And on this show, he actually defeats Hercules. Um, at this point, Brutus is maybe going to try and get some hair cutting, uh, a little bit of strutting, if you will. But, um, you know, nothing doing. He's definitely uh, making his way up the Heenan family at this point. Um, it's Rude, it's Haku, and it's Andre. Um, and I believe that was it at this point for the Heenans. Because uh-huh. was, the, the roost, uh, was the rooster in there, too? Or was he already turned? Uh, the rooster turned at the end of 88. At the, 
Well, it was at Wrestle. Uh, yes, at the end of '88. So end of '88 because he fights Bobby at five. Yep. Yep. Um, so I don't so know. Was he on camera yet? I don't think so. Just Terry Taylor was. Yeah, Terry Taylor was, but he didn't turn Red Rooster till I think the fall. Yep. Um, so he's Red Rooster at Survivor Series. We've yeah. got a nice mid card feud there. Something that we can put on television. Um, mm-hmm. Brutus and Duggan versus Hercules, Haku and Andre um, and Rude. Um, you know, you know those four guys are interchangeable at that point. It, it's it's great television. Um, and and Brutus gets a nice win there, so we get our crowd back. And then we go to this next match, which is really kind of a a make or break moment for for this new team on the block. Uh, the Warlord and the Barbarian have debuted on television. Um, right after uh, the Saturday night's main event on April 30th. Um, these are two rough and tough guys, and they debut with Mr. Fuji. Mr. Fuji says Demolition has turned their backs on him, um, and he is bringing in two guys that are going are gonna to bring the power, the pain, and destruction, the Warlord and Barbarian, and they, they just mow through everybody. They get to this point at WrestleFest 90, 1988, and we've got a team that can sustain a loss, um, especially if it's a dirty one, and that is uh, Davy Boy and um, the Dynamite Kid, the British Bulldogs. We actually have the Powers of Pain go over them because, like I said, we're setting up for this big showdown between the Powers of Pain and uh, Demolition down the road. Yeah, uh, I would put this match uh, a little over nine minutes. I think it would be good back-and-forth power. I think uh, uh, Dynamite would sell well. I mean, he's the smallest of the bunch. Uh, but he'll put on some. He'll hit a couple of of, of uh, aerial strikes. Um, I can easily see uh, Davy Boy hitting the power slam on Barbarian and trying to get uh, <laughs> with the mighty warlord. Well, we haven't got into the full Nelson situation no, yet. So. Not yet. <laughs> and I, I think we'll obviously see Fuji and the cane in some capacity, and I yep. think the, the the pops win cheap. Uh, but a decent power match. I would put a little over nine minutes yeah. and, and the set biggest, them on their way. The biggest thing is the Powers of Pain just got to win over former tag team champions. And, uh, you know, yep. we're building that big thing because we kind of, um, like we talked about, maybe we have the idea of, uh, well, you know, the winner of this match could be in line for a world tag team title match down the line. Um, you know, really putting that over. Um, and I think that this is a match in which that goes over perfectly. Um one match we're going to carry over from the original one. Uh, we actually got three, four, five in a row here, six in a row. Um, you know, pretty simple. Bad news, Brown over Brett the Hitman Hart. Um, we're going to toy with Brett Hart as a singles guy. He's a clear-cut babyface at this point. Bad news, Brown is a guy we've been pushing. Um, just a simple, good contest with these two. Um, nothing fancy. Bad news goes over Brett. Yeah, no, not much to say here. I, I would put, you know, maybe six and a half minutes. Uh, Brett gets some strikes in, but uh, you know we we didn't have the you know we didn't have the the uh, uh, you and Jeff did not have the battle royal yep. at four, so this one was a little more random. But that's okay. I mean, these kind of like mid matches, it's all right. You, you know, you're still in the era of of mid card fill. Well, the the house so, show feel to it too. You know what I mean? Like, right. hey, we're gonna put two two big competitors against one another. Um, right, and I yep. think that works here with these two, plain and simple. Absolutely, nothing yep. big. Absolutely, um, our first big uh, title match of the night: the Honky Tonk Man defending against uh, Hacksaw Jim Duggan. Um, Duggan goes over by a countout. Um, again, 
Pretty simple contest at this point. Duggan has been getting some wins maybe over the Heenan family. Um, Bobby and him, uh, you know, you can always count on Bobby to maybe have some interference here. And, uh, you know, Honky Tonk Man, you know, getting out, um, running away, uh, you know, keeping his title because he's got, you know, plans down the line. Um, pretty basic, you know, nothing major. Um, going to the next match, the Mr. Perfect match, Kurt Henning defeats Terry Taylor. Um, like I said with the boss man, Kurt Henning has got gold and green written all over him in the good way, and uh, we're, we're showcasing him here tonight. Yes, and uh, it's I think it's a great match. I remember the original match not being very long, but I would give these guys at least seven, eight minutes uh, to really tell a good story because I think they worked great together, and uh, uh, obviously Hennig needs to go over. Um, he still has his AWA tights on, though. I yeah. don't think he gets the... Uh, I don't think he gets the... Uh, the neon singlets till a while. I don't even think till the beginning of '89. I think he's still using his. At the he used rump. to have those. He used to have those black tights with like the weird white, like I don't know. I don't know what the what the design was, yeah. but those were like his AWA tights when he like beat Lawler to win the world title and that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but he, him and Taylor put on some match. Oh, yeah. uh, expert workers can never argue with their abilities. So uh, a great match, yeah. but uh, Mr. Perfect. Well, Kurt Hennig. Really, I mean, I know he's been kind of called Mr. Perfect at this point. Gene Okerlund always seemed like the guy that called him that, like Mr. Perfect Kurt Henning. You know, <laughs> like he'd always say it like yeah. that. I always enjoyed that. Um, yeah. But plain and simple, uh, Henning. You know, we need him to get a win, and um, he's on his own still at this point. He gets a win over Taylor. Um, good stuff. Yep. He's got he's got some things down the road. Um, we're still testing the waters with him. So at this point, we're testing the waters with bad news with Henning and with uh, the boss man. Uh, we've got a new tag team with the Powers of Pain. Um, we've got some stalwarts in the British Bulldogs doing okay. Um, and then, of course, we've got the Rougeau Brothers, a new tag team that we're pushing big. Um, the next couple matches here, um, I'm going to let you run through our next one because this is a feud that you and I talked a little bit about. Um, tell us about this Jake Roberts versus Ravishing Rick Rude match. Well, it we go back to WrestleMania when these two, uh, you know, Met the first time. Uh, clearly, Jake does not like Rude's uh, saunter. Um, uh, you know, it's not his kind of guy. And they have a match at, at WrestleMania Four. Now, the original WrestleMania it was part of the tournament, but here they just wrestle a great match, mm-hmm. and uh, Rude wins with his feet on the ropes. Um, as time progresses, and Rude wins at Science Main Event, uh, after that match, uh, Jake, who was not on the card itself. Uh, is called out by Rude and says, uh, you know, I want you to see something. And uh, uh, on the ramp is a uh, is the video board. It's a very small one because we are in 1988. Yeah. And they show uh, Rude kind of, uh, kind of uh, accosting uh, 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 Cheryl Roberts out in the, uh, you know, out in the, 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 the Superstars parking lot. Like, hey, you know... Uh, you know, your, your, your husband's kind of creepy. You want to make it with a real man. And, of course, Jake snaps. That feud continues throughout the summer. And then here, uh, Rude challenges Jake to a rematch. And he says, if I win, I get your wife for 60 days. And, and you can just tell the promos with Rude just pushing this over yep. the line. I mean, oh, he, yeah. whatever the line for the WWF is at this point, he is he's 
jumping back and forth on it because um, he is berating Jake and he's saying, I'm, I'm going to take your woman. Um, and and that, that just makes Jake snap. Um, and I think we talked about it where, uh, you know, Jake and Cheryl at some point, um, oh, it was, I was just listening to your podcast with uh, Goldust and Marlena, and they did this with Pillman, where Marlena accepts it for Goldust. I can see Cheryl doing that same thing, like, Jake, you need to shut him up, so go out there and do it for me. And Roberts says, oh, hell yeah, or something like that. You right. know what I mean? Yep. Um, it's a perfect angle for that. And uh, Roberts uh, and Rude would tell the story better than, than most, I think. Yes, yeah. This is a great match at WrestleFest. I would say it's probably a good, you know, 12 minutes, 12, 13 minutes. And I would, I think we need a little, we need a little miscommunication here. Cheryl takes it upon herself to help out her husband. So she attempts to uh, unhook the bag and throw Damien into the ring. But she somehow gets like Damien kind of overtakes her. Jake's distracted. Rude rolls him up, handful of tights, and there's your three count. And the crowd is stunned. Stunned. Yep. Because at this point... You never would have thought. In 1988 WWF, you would have never thought this would have happened. Absolutely not. But let me tell you guys something. The winds of change are coming. And it's with stuff like this that we're starting to plant a seed. Yep. Um, and because our, if, if you look down the line, our heels at this point have really been strong. But we've got these character baby faces that are immortal in a sense. A Brutus Beefcake, a Jake the Snake, a Jim Duggan. These guys have such powerful personas that we can bring them back into the light of the of the WWF, and it'll be okay. Yes, absolutely. But I think uh, I think we need to uh, early on here in the history in the, what I call the Federation era, um, kind of test the uh, intelligence of the fans. I mean, uh, a lot of these storylines went on in territories in Florida and in you know mid south, and I'm sure. Joe Blanchard in San Antonio, and some of these small Roy Shire out in San Francisco. I'm sure they tested the waters of feuds like this, but the big the big promotions had to be a little careful because you know TV contracts and such. But you and I are calling the shots here, at exactly. DC. So we've decided uh, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna challenge the intelligence of the fans and be like, look, this is legit. She screwed up, and now she's got to spend 60 days with the ravishing one. Lord only knows what she's gonna end up having to do. But we'll leave that to the fans' imagination. I com- I completely agree. Um, at this point, we're also going to have another Heenan. Now we've got a trio of Heenan matches. Um, Haku goes over Sam Houston in a quick one. Um, uh-huh. You know, this could even be a match that gets cut. But, uh, you know, we want to build Haku up because we've got some big things planned for him. We want to keep the Heenan family strong uh, in a clean win. A clean win. And, uh, you know, with Haku getting a clean victory over a guy like Sam Houston, that works. Um then we move down to uh, the Ultimate Warrior versus Bobby Heenan um, in the Weasel Suit match, which is iconic for so many reasons. Oh yeah, um, just a great a great moment um, in that contest. And um, then we go down to this this next match: our newly minted baby faces, um, Demolition. We heard about the Powers of Pain earlier. Um, we're actually putting together um, a different uh, tag team um, that has been together before. Um, and that is, of course, Dino Bravo and Greg Valentine. Um, again, we talked about this. This is an era in which the, the house show, the big match, could still do 
um, good business and uh, a former um, tag team, the Dream Team Part 2, if you will, um, putting them together for a one-night stand against uh, Demolition. Um, gets Demolition a, a nice win, um, retains their tag team titles, um, just just puts them on the map again, uh, reassuring the fans that these two guys are, are great. Um, and our commentary team, uh, which we haven't really talked about, but they can always put over how well they're working as a team and how Bravo and Valentine uh, you know, are giving it a go here because they've been doing well on the house shows and on television because we can build that over that three months, like, hey, Bravo and Valentine, you know, they've been beating some guys. You know, they're going to give Demolition a run for their money, and maybe they do 12 minutes at the most. Demolition gets a big win, big pop, and uh, the crowd goes wild. Yeah, and uh, what I like about this match, uh, uh, DC, is you're dealing with uh, four guys who do not faint their punches nope. <laughs> or any of their strikes. So this is a good old-fashioned Haas Fest right here. I mean, four guys who just stiff the hell out of you. And I think that, I think it makes it for more entertaining. I would, I would give them, well, we need to, we need to preserve some time. I mean, those other couple, those last couple of matches were relatively short. I yeah. mean, Rude and Jake was about 13. I would say Haku was probably like five. Warrior was probably like five. So we'll give these guys about eight minutes. And I think that's just enough time to really put over a good story and just pummel the shit out of each other. And, uh, demolition hits the, uh, I don't want to see the hammer job. So, we'll <laughs> <laughs> so, so Bravo eats the doomsday, the, uh, the uh, decapitation device, yeah, and uh, and demolition gets the win. So they keep their titles, and uh, we got a collision course, my friend. Absolutely, between the two uh, paint uh, uh, the two face painted teams in the World Wrestling Federation right now. To uh, quote, demolition of the powers of paint. To quote Adam Ryland, these are two uh, power and paint tag teams. Um, for power all, and paint. I like that. <laughs> for all of you that have played EWR or TEW, um, it uh, their uh, booking games. This guy, Adam Ryland, created them. They're amazing. Um, but he, you could always put a gimmick on somebody, and uh, the, the powers of pain were always power and paint. Um, <laughs> so That's funny. It, it's pretty cool. Um, so here we go. We've got a little bit of a break, though. Um, we've got some promos. We've got uh -huh. some things announced. Because in 30 days, the WWF is going to be at Madison Square Garden. Uh -huh. It's going to be SummerSlam. It's going to be one of the biggest events of all time. And uh, we, we finally hear that at that show, we will see a tag team title match between Demolition and Powers of Pain. Um, we hear that uh, the Honky Tonk Man will be defending his Intercontinental title. We, we find out that the Hearts and the Rougeau brothers will, will be back together um, in a tag team match. Um, so we hear a couple things. We maybe get a couple little promos. Definitely we're going to be hearing from guys like uh, the Big Boss Man. We're going to be hearing from Bad News Brown. Um, and, and Honky Tonk Man saying, you know, nobody can take my title from me. Really building up his self. I think that would be um, some great stuff there. Um, and, uh, you know, we got we got a little bit more to go on that card. But, you know, we got to take some time because guess what? Our main event is coming up. Uh -huh. There's four men in who, who you haven't seen yet. And uh, what, what are these four guys going to be doing? And that is, of course, the Macho Man Randy Savage and Hulk Hogan teaming up. To take on, well, better yet, the Mega Powers taking uh -huh. on Ted DiBiase and Andre the Giant, the Mega Bucks, but this time live in front of the Milwaukee County Stadium crowd, it is going to be a tag team cage match. Oh, fantastic. The aesthetic of the cage at this WrestleFest show is probably one of the better um, visuals that you'll get. 
at a wrestling event. When I think of these, I think of um, you know the Silverdome. I think of WrestleMania 17 with the Undertaker driving down the the ramp. Uh-huh. Um, and this, in my opinion, goes to it. It it it's the sea of humanity, and then there's this blue cage, and then it's it's Andre and DiBiase looking, you know, like they're gonna rip the heads off of Hogan and uh, and Savage, and then Savage and Hogan um, coming down. Savage, you know, holding Hogan back a little bit and then ripping the shirt off so that they can go into the ring and, uh, you know, just just destroy this team. Um, Scott, is there any better way to cap off this amazing show? Well, I don't know if I'm going to cross you up here, uh, DC, and uh, that's the best part of live uh, tele- live uh, podcasting. But there we go. I'm gonna throw. I'm gonna throw a, a, a little. Not a wrench in the mix. The match itself is gonna be fantastic, and and the the the, the painting you just uh, created of the match is fantastic. But Mega Powers are in the ring. The Mega Bucks are in the ring. But before they even touch, a theme song hits. A very familiar one. Not necessarily for that part of the country. More for the southeastern part of the country. Could you tell me whose music we just heard? <laughs> One of the biggest coups, my friend, in the history of backdoor dealings of professional wrestling. Walking down the aisle at County Stadium, former NWA World Heavyweight Champion, the Nature Boy, Ric Flair. Are you and fucking kidding me? Wait a second. God, I thought Ric Flair was in the NWA. Nope. He he lost the title to Lex Luger at uh, the Great American Bash just a month earlier. And somehow, someway, walks out on the Crockett's. And just as these four men were about to clash in the cage, who walks down with a couple of beautiful women in a three-piece $5,000 suit? But the man takes a big interest in this match. Oh. Big interest in this match. And guess what, ladies and gentlemen, the Low Blow Booking Podcast, we don't pull any punches. We're going low blow, and guess what? The Nature Boy is Boom. in the WWF. He talked about it in his book. It was a, 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 a dream, if you will. And guess what? He's here. And he is by himself, of course, with the lovely ladies. Um, the only thing I think that could make this better is if he pulled a uh, Zeus on Hulk Hogan and came in on a helicopter. <laughs> oh, that would have been awesome. <laughs> that would have been tremendous, like he did in the old bashes in uh, the old Charlotte, Charlotte uh, uh, minor league field or whatever. Oh, oh, that would have been tremendous. How amazing would that have been just to see? Oh. This This match is just about to start, and all of a sudden a helicopter comes, and it lands, and all of a sudden, you know, nobody knows what's going on, and Rick fucking Flair gets out and just walks over and just sits down and watches like 
Are you kidding me? Could you imagine this? And and that's the thing is that after this show on television, we talk about this huge debut, this this monumental name. He's coming. He's here. It's going to be incredible. And then we wait until that final moment and we show him at the end of that uh, for two weeks. We show this television stuff and then we start airing the promos. Now, before we get to that, let's finish off our match here. Savage and Hogan defeating DiBiase and Andre. We put the kibosh pretty much on that tag team feud. Um, like we've talked about, Andre's got other things to worry about with Jim Duggan. Um, he's got the Ultimate Warrior, and he's got Jake Roberts, and he's got Brutus Beefcake. Um, if you can tell where I'm going with this, there's a Survivor Series match down the line. Uh, uh -huh. You know, it, it, oh, yeah. it, that would be one of the greatest you know, Survivor Series matches with those guys. Um, and we know there's a couple other people that maybe we're going to be part of the Heenan family, but now with this other guy, maybe there's going to be some different things that we're going to do. But we'll get to that down the road. Um, you know, we, we talked about maybe, you know, Hogan hitting a big body slam on Andre or, uh, you know, getting Andre tied up in the ropes, uh, Hogan body slamming, uh, you know, DiBiase getting a big leg drop, Savage coming off the top of the cage with the elbow, um, you know, just monumental stuff. What a visual. Yeah. What a visual. And, you know, to have even, even you get the regular vision of it, but then if you got a live, like, wide shot of Savage jumping off the cage, I mean, how just incredible. That would have been a, a, a visual that you could have used for 30 years. What a VHS cover or a DVD cover. Oh, man. It, you know? it would have been incredible. And, uh, you know, they win. They get the victory. They work the crowd in, uh, you know, they make sure that they look over at this uh, beach blonde, uh, you know, uh, former world champion, perhaps the real world's champion, if you will. But, uh, you know, a man who is uh, definitely making his presence known by simply walking into the arena. And that is the nature boy, Ric Flair. And he, to cap it off, while, the, while uh, Real American or Pompton, whichever Mega Powers theme plays, Flair walks in the ring, holding the World Wrestling Federation Championship, hands it to Savage, and winks. Oh, yeah. Just finishes it <laughs> off. Uh, you know, at this point, the crowd has no clue what's going on. Uh -huh. we, we, we've they're going batshit, though. They are going batshit, though. We've got pure chaos, I mean, yeah. when it comes down to it. So, um, man, you know, how could you even imagine watching the WWF at this point and seeing that happen? It would be incredible. I'd have lost my fucking mind. <laughs> just, just incredible. I'd have lost my mind. It would have been like one of those television gags where everybody's heads explode. Uh, yeah, <laughs> pretty much. I mean, it's ridiculous. But Hogan, uh, Savage, Flair, 1988 style. Man. All in the ring at the same time. I mean. With Andre and uh, DiBiase playing backup. You know? Like, ugh. Wow. It'd be incredible. And guess what, ladies and gentlemen? That just wraps up WrestleFest. We're coming back at you in just a couple of minutes. We're going to be coming at you with the event that shapes this year, that caps this trilogy, and leads into what will go down the road. Uh, I've already talked to Dave. We're, we're going to look at SummerSlam, or Survivor Series 1988 and see what happens. But first, got to hit SummerSlam. The WWF, what the world is watching. Summer 
There it is, Scott. The voice of the WWF, the original. Uh-huh. Fuck you, Michael Cole. Uh, I agree. Gorilla Monsoon setting us up for this event. First time on pay-per-view. We go to the Mecca, the home station, the home field advantage, all that, whatever you want to call it. This is the place where the WWF uh, became um, the, the sports conglomerate that it is. Madison Square Garden, live on this uh, you know, exciting August night, um, August 29th to be exact. Here we go, SummerSlam. Let's start it off. We've talked a little bit about some of the matches um, uh-huh. already, but let's first start with one big thing, uh, our announce crew. The original crew for this show was, of course, Gorilla Monsoon uh-huh. and superstar Billy Graham. Uh-huh. And there was a reason for that, and I think it was a good reason. It is because Jesse the Body Ventura was going to be a special guest referee in the Mega Powers versus Mega Bucks match. Well, uh-huh. ladies and gentlemen, we aren't having that match tonight. We've got different plans. Uh-huh. And it's because of that that superstar Billy Graham uh, wasn't given a ticket to the show. Um, he, had to buy, <laughs> <laughs> he had to buy one himself because Jesse and Gorilla are in the booth and they are, uh, they are putting this thing over like only they could. Um, oh. We have got some great matches on this card, and uh, I cannot wait um, to see what we have coming here. But first, Scott, before we get started, I want to know, what is your take on the original um, Survivor, or SummerSlam 1988? Oh, the original is, is, uh, is, is, a, is a good card. Um, I don't think they really get the, the real sachet of the show until 1989, but uh, the crowd is geeked. Um, hey man, it's Madison Square Garden. It's the home office. So, so long as you don't give them a, a pile of steaming poo, you're, you'll you'll be okay. And uh, it's like Philly. It's like Boston. You know. Um, and the show itself is good. Uh, we made some adjustments because there are some guys. I just I can't stand Ken Patera, so I'm glad we kind of <laughs> keyboshed him out of this match. Out of spoiler this alert, <laughs> Ken Patera. Yeah. Spoiler and, uh, alert, there is no Ken Patera. And superstar Billy Graham are sitting somewhere. <laughs> yes, comparing their hairless, creamy legs. Yeah, exactly. And uh, hopefully not needles. Yeah. Um, <laughs> or uh, but, Big Macs. Uh, yes, oh. exactly. But, uh, yeah, no, I, I liked uh, the first SummerSlam. Um, I like and, what you just said, though. They, like, they didn't get it until the next year. I feel the same way about their Survivor Series. I love the 87 one, but, man, I love the 88 one so much more because I really think they figured it out. Um, yep. You know, and that's that's the opposite of what happened with WrestleMania. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> but, uh, you know, with them with them doing the show like that, I think that the original 88 show, for what they did and the storylines they had, um, was okay. Obviously, the, the biggest one that I didn't like is the, uh, the Rick Rude and Jake the Snake Roberts issue, um, that they didn't put those two together. Um, it made no sense. It made no sense whatsoever. That's not going to happen here tonight, folks. We've got SummerSlam live from Madison Square Garden. We have got a full card, and uh, you know it's time to get started. And we are going to get it. we're going to get started in the hottest way. We've done it uh, time and time again. It's the tag teams. Originally, it was the Rougeos and the British Bulldogs, but guess what? We've got another feud going on, and that is the Hart Foundation and the Rougeos. They met at WrestleMania. The Rougeos defeated the Hearts. It completed their turn. They've been heels all summer. They've had a great summer, defeating the Killer Bees at WrestleFest. 
Um, Jimmy Hart has put them to the roof. You know, definite tag team contenders. Um, I, I dare say that if there was a Saturday Night's Main event between these two, they would have been face, facing demolition. Um, but they are going to be going up against the Hart Foundation. Um, you know, the uh, the Hitman and the Anvil are coming together, and uh, this is that moment in which we we flip the tide. The Hart Foundation go over the Rougeos in a monumental tag team opening contest. Yeah, uh, I, I would I would dare to say uh, DC that. I would put this. Uh, I would give this match like 19 minutes. Absolutely, I, and we've got time too. That's just it. Three hours. Um, we've got time to work with here. Yeah, so I would give these guys as much time as needed. Uh, there, uh, let them let them roll, man. Let them roll. Um, and the thing is that they would know how to do it. Yep. Um, and and with Jimmy Hart out there, you have a lot of fodder and you have a lot of extra stuff that can go along with it. Um, that's useful, not useless, like Mister Fuji. Or Frenchie Martin, um, you've got some usefulness. Are you trying to, are you trying to butter up, Mister Rosero? <laughs> <laughs> I must. I, I feel the same way, though. You know, but I love Slick. Man, do I love Slick! But uh, you know, Jimmy yeah. Hart. Um, this got cut off the original podcast that we started talking. But I thought Jimmy Hart will, should go down as top three managers of the modern era in terms of uh, nationalized pro wrestling. Um, I know Gary Hart did amazing things. I know that. Um, James J. Dillon did amazing things, but man, Jimmy Hart did it on the biggest stage and he did it for a long time and, and he put some legitimacy in his teams. And, uh, I think that here tonight, you know, we see uh, a very good, uh, moment for him, but it's not good enough because the hearts defeat the Rougeos and, uh, we've got a hot crowd getting ready for what we've got going on here. Yeah. The, the uh, the, the hearts get their revenge. Um, uh, I think there, there's a little chicanery. Uh, Jimmy Hart uh, gets uh, Anvil throws him around a bit, and then they set up. Uh, let's see who will take the pin. Uh, we'll say Jacques. Jacques uh, eats the heart attack, and uh, in 19 minutes and 11 seconds, Ooh, uh, some time. The Hart Foundation victorious. Some time. I like it. Yeah. Um, now, uh, our next contest features, um, you know, two characters that are going through some changes. Um, the first one is Kurt Henning. And he is going up against Tito Santana. Tito hasn't been on our show in quite some time, especially um, since WrestleMania. Over the summer, Tito's been kind of hanging out, doing his thing, getting some wins here and there. Uh, Rick Martell has not been around. Um, Rick Martell actually hasn't been around since July. Um, uh-huh. Got hurt. Uh, Tito, um, you know, has just been doing some single stuff. Um, you know, still a name, still a, a big face, uh, pun intended, in the company. Um, and, uh, this is a perfect guy for us to have, uh, Mr. Perfect, almost, uh, Kurt Henning, um, like I said, a perfect guy, uh, for him to defeat, Kurt Henning gets a a big time win on a pay-per-view against a legitimate, um, threat, a legitimate face, a legitimate name in the WWF. Yeah, uh, I think this is an exceptional match, um, I'd give this about 10 or 11 minutes, uh, Tito, uh, not only sells well, but also delivers well, and he's one of the most beloved baby faces I think in, in, in Federation lore. And uh, I think Perfect gives him a good match, and uh, he hits the Perfect Plex. Uh, Perfect uh, does eat the flying burrito, but will get his foot on the rope on the two count, 
and uh, eventually Perfect hits the uh, the Fisherman Suplex, a.k.a. the Perfect Plex, yeah. and gets a victory. And he's not perfect yet, but he's amassing this record that is going to yes, make him true. perfect. And, uh, yes. you know, and that's part of the thing is, is we're building this guy up because um, in 1989, even at the Rumble, he's still kind of, uh, you know, and even at WrestleMania 5, he has a great match with the Blazer, but um, we could explode this guy in 1989. I mean, he yes. could... He could do so much more, but in order for him to do that, we've got to create some other guys underneath him um, and parallel to him. That's where we go into our next match. Brutus Beefcake has had this feud going on with the Heenan family over the summer. Um, Some of the big names, like the Ultimate Warrior, has been feuding with the Heenan family. Um, Hacksaw Jim Duggan has been feuding with the Heenan family. We've had Jake the Snake, and uh, now here comes Brutus Beefcake, and he actually goes over a guy that we had... Um, defeat Sam Houston at the last show. Mr. Or, uh, Brutus Beefcake defeats Haku, um, a formidable competitor, uh, a, a name, uh, you know, a tough guy. And uh, I don't think that he goes to sleep, but uh, definitely a quick win, uh, maybe a backslide, something like that. Um, you know, something that makes Heenan kind of pulling out his hair. Um, but definitely that can build to another TV match down the line. Yeah, I mean, we're talking uh, another hard hitter. And, uh, uh, Brutus, um, again, a guy who has, uh, Bill is, is built for the crowd and, uh, uh, Haku, there's not much to say about a guy like him. He might be one of the more underrated guys in the Federation era because he's just so reliable and he's so durable. I mean, when did you ever hear Haku take time off for injuries? Hardly Mm -hmm. ever. Never. I mean, he was just a he was a, a hand and yeah. a very good one. And when you when when you need a legitimate opponent, you could put Haku in there. You could put a guy like the Barbarian in there, and and they would make those guys. You know, they could beat him, but they didn't. But it didn't matter because they were still a threat. Right. Exactly. And I. But but Brutus continues to to battle the Heenan family, and. Uh... Uh, I think after this match, I think he needs a bit of a beatdown. So I think after he gets the win, Haku hits him after the bell, and maybe Hercules comes out. Uh, maybe we get a little uh, little Heenan family justice. Oh, absolutely! On, uh, on the Brutai, I think get that, that feud going. I think that even um, you know, I, I want to save that angle. I like that, but I want to save it because maybe we can do it on a TV show in which Haku does do the crescent kick right to the throat, and then you okay, could have Her- sure. you could have Hercules then tie the chain around his throat. Oh, yeah, I like that. You know, and, and that's a visual, you know, like yeah. they did with the Ron Bass thing of, of Brutus, you know, just selling it like crazy. Um, I think that, I like would, that. that would be a great, a great event to, to have that on a Superstars. And that's another angle that you're pushing for two weeks on television. Like, will Brutus be able to come back? And, you know, who, you know, who can he get to help him? Um, and we'll see down the line. There's a couple guys that could definitely help Brutus Beefcake okay. um, in this one. Okay. Now, good call. I, our, I could I could wait on that. Sure, definitely. Yeah. And in our next matchup, you know, features another guy that we've been talking about. We need to build up some baby faces, and uh, here he is. Um, but first, it's the honky tonk man. Now, the original angle, we love it, and the original angle was meant for Brutus to come out because he he would have had that injury. However, we're 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 kind of switching some things up there with Brutus Peefgate. Uh-huh. We want to put him because he didn't really feud with the Heenan family, um, right? And there's another guy that I want to I want to talk about in just a moment um, that could feud with somebody, but um, 
The Honky Talk Man comes out, and we said it earlier, he, he, he has said that nobody can defeat him for the Intercontinental Championship. There's nobody who can, who can even touch him. And uh, all of a sudden, we hear that music, and you know the crowd just explodes when out comes the one, the only, the Ultimate Warrior. Uh-huh. A guy who at WrestleMania defeated Hercules in a record time has been, you know, going through um, the WWF all summer um, at WrestleFest. He defeated Bobby Heenan in the Weasel match. Um, has just cemented himself as the man, and he come out um, for what we've had for time matches in the beginning. He comes out and squashes Honky in in twenty seconds. Uh, we have a new Intercontinental Champion, and the crowd is going bonkers, if you will. Oh, absolutely. And um, I think here's where the dynamic of Gorilla and Jesse just makes this moment better, because uh, when we get to our main event, Jesse's going to be out of his skin. But uh, uh, here, he's just... Because he, we all know Jesse absolutely despises the Ultimate Warrior, so... Yeah. Um, He'll come out, he'll, he'll gripe about, this isn't fair, Honky, you know, should have had time, he should have kind of known who his guy was, and Gorilla's like, well, he said anybody. Um, well, I, think I think this he even is where blames the, the, Jimmy the Hart. I could see Gorilla saying, well, that pipsqueak Jimmy Hart is the one that put him up to it. If he was a real manager, he would have never done this, and oh man, it's just, it's great television. Absolutely great television. I think the commentary definitely, uh, which was lost in the real moment with Gorilla and, and Superstar, because he really knew what the hell he was saying. Nope. <laughs> uh, and here... Gorilla and Jesse paint such an amazing picture uh, of Honky pulling off something dumb and then and then Warrior being in the right place at the right time and your new intercontinental champion. History made in the garden. Yep. Um, we've got a guy who is going to take that title and, and do a lot with it. And uh, we've got some ready-made feuds um, coming out of there because Honky can still make claim – um, Honky has got some buddies with him. He's got a guy like Dino Bravo. He's got a guy like Greg Valentine. Um, and the Warrior can't forget about the Heenan family because he's been having issues with them too. So he's a marked man at this point, and now he's got some gold. And um, you know that's kind of that's not good news for him because there's a lot of people that are going to want that title. And uh, you know we can talk about that down the road. Um, uh-huh. But I think it sets up just so much more for him and this crop of contenders that we've been talking about. And one of those men is in our next match. And I don't remember this match ever happening. Maybe you can help me. But in our next match, we have a man from Cobb County, Georgia. We've been talking about him all summer. He's came in and he has just defeated everybody in his path. He has, he has destroyed men uh, one by one. And that is the big boss man. And here he goes against Coco Beware, uh, defeats Coco. Again, a shorter match, not 20 seconds, but definitely about three or four minutes. Coco gets a little bit of offense, but he does his job, pun intended, and uh, the boss man gets a win. How about the boss man versus the ultimate warrior? Well, uh, first off, uh, DC, this match did happen because this was the actual match at SummerSlam. Absolutely. So there you go. Um, I think that might be the only match that we kept. Uh, let's see. Uh, well, that and Warrior Hockey. Oh, yeah. I think otherwise, no, we, ch- we switch everything else up. Um, Boss Man Warrior would have been fantastic because uh, you've got the, the frenetic, uh, energy-paced guy like the Warrior and a methodical, diabolical heel like the Boss Man 
who just picks his spots with his nightstick and his handcuffs. And I can see him them cutting promos about, you know, I'm going to cut your energy off. You're going to be serving hard time and I'm going to deliver the, the, the blows. And I could see a definite feud there between two contrasting styles. Now, boss man at the time, I mean, boss man was never thin, but boy, I mean, in real life at this point, 88, boy, he was a severe hunk of chunk. 400 Um, pounds at least. Yeah. But in our world, DC, we're going to have him lose a little weight. Oh yeah. We want to be a little bit mobile. We don't want her to be totally, totally bony, but, but he is on a quest and I would love to see a, um, a program, you know, a program with Warrior and Boss Man. I think that'd be really good. What about Warrior like holding up the ball and chain, like no chains can stop the Warrior, you know, like just that that yeah. whole issue. Um, you even can steal from the Hogan angle that they did, which we may could change because of some other things. Um, but uh-huh. you know, uh, Boss Man handcuffing Warrior to the ropes and Warrior trying to pound up, and Boss Man just fucking wailing on him. With yep. the, oh man, ah, awesome television. Again, yes. something for superstars that we can push for a month. Yep. That's the problem, man, is you could just ride these things out and lead to a big show. Um, I think that would definitely be one where you, you've got me hooked up and, and I'd, I'd be ready to go. Yeah, um, definitely. I mean, we could have a, I mean, there would, you'd have to put in a, we obviously have a September or an October, probably a September uh, Saturday night's main event. It's, it's October 25th is the next one. Okay, and and right there, you you obviously you build it up on superstars and all American, and 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 have promos on primetime, and you lead up to an icy title match right there on a, on a, or Hockey gets his rematch there, Warrior wins, and then Bossman starts uh, laying in the the and, nightstick shots, and who else can come out with Bossman at that point? Uh, shall we say his newfound partner, the African Dream, Akeem? Wow. Twin Towers. Warrior having to go against the Twin Towers. Oh, that would be some I good like stuff. I like that. That would be some good stuff. I like that. I like that. I, I like it a lot, too, especially with some of the other things that we've got coming up. Man, I yeah. can't wait. You know, it's it's just this one big thing. It's like, we're going to put a cap on 88 tonight, but man, there's so much more we could talk about. And, <laughs> I know. And, and we're going to, you know, maybe I'm going to go back and... And we'll listen to this show, and then we're gonna we're gonna go back. We're gonna keep going in '88 and going to '89, and and just you know rebook the entire WWF. But <laughs> uh, when it comes down to it, we've got uh, Warrior defeating Honky, we've got Bossman defeating Coco, and now we've got a real big feud that's got a lot of meat and potatoes to it. Um, the feud that you talked about back from WrestleFest, uh, Ravishing Rick Rude has secured the um, services of Cheryl Roberts for sixty days, uh-huh. and um, at the 30-day mark is this show, and it's at this show that we have a big tag team match because we're, we're kind of missing out that tag team match that we're going to have with Hogan and Savage. Uh-huh. Oh, wait. Did I spoil something? Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Let's see what happens. Um, <laughs> we're actually going to have Hacksaw Jim Duggan and Jake Roberts, who have been feuding with Ravishing Rick Rude and Andre the Giant. Um, now, I believe I believe this match happened um, on one of those, like, uh, the television, uh, like one of the specials or one of the VHSs. I'm almost positive it was this or it was Warrior and Jake. It was some kind of combination. Um, but uh, we're going to have this match here at uh, the Survivor Series. And I, I think 
uh, it goes with so much extra juice because of the fact that um, Jake and Rude have got this blood feud over Jake's wife. Uh, Duggan and Andre are fighting about who is the tougher man. Uh, Bobby Heenan is out at the ringside area. I mean, there's just so much going on here. Um, you know, and, and the visual that I wanted to put out was the one in which Cheryl Roberts actually has to come out with the Heenan family. And Jake, at some point midway through the match, tries to go over to her, and Andre stands in front of him. Ugh, what a visual. And Jake, you know, is just sitting there, and he's wrenching his fist, and he's just so upset. He's so hurt. He's heartbroken. And then Rick Rude comes and just, you know, nails him from behind and, and beats the fucking piss out of him. Um, and, uh, you know, I think, I just, I just see that being great. I see it being very entertaining stuff. Um, we kind of, uh, we kind of take things, uh, here with Hacksaw Jim Duggan, uh, getting a DQ, um, here on Andre. And I think that it fits here because of, um, you know, because of the fact that, uh, they just, they don't like each other, you know, and there's so much juice into this feud. Um, I think it'd be perfect. But that's just me. No, you. I think you hit the nail on the head. I mean, uh, Jake is just the guy who elicits so much emotion from the fans uh, because he's just good at what he did. He was just good at what he did in terms of psychology. and um, Yeah, he, uh, he just wants his wife back. And Andre just stares at him and said, not today, boss. Yeah. You know, and then Rude just, just, just beats the shit out of him and, and uh, but then Duggan decides to clean house and and uh, whacks everybody with the two by four and of course uh, the referee calls for the bell and Andre and Rude win by DQ so the feud continues um, and Cheryl is still Rick Rude's for another thirty days thirty days now uh, we'd have to go from there and and see if we if we play it out or if we have another match at some point and uh, and it ends so. But I think it leads for great TV, and I think the crowd is bonkers. Uh, we have a good crowd anyway. Oh, absolutely. But, uh, well, there's the, and this match has got some extra emotion to it, and that's what MSG is all about. You know, they're gonna feel every fight and every punch and every kick with this, and uh, you know the fans are gonna be pro Jake, even though Rude was Rude was cool. But you know, the idea of uh, of Rude having Cheryl, I think I think that puts it over the line. Definitely. And uh, the crowd just wants to be on her side and help her, but she's stuck. And, uh, you know, it continues. It's good TV. Absolutely. And, and, you know, we talked about, you know, possibly what that Saturday night's main event on October 25th would look like. That would, of course, you know, we'd have to talk about how the 60 days would end. Um, You know, Cheryl would go back to Jake. And, you know, we could even, if we really wanted to play it, she could be in tears. She could be emotionally distraught. And uh, it's not that, you know, we don't say Rude did anything bad. It's the hint that Rude did yeah. something. and it Maybe leads... Rude starts gyrating in front of her with her face on his butt. Oh, my gosh. I mean, it, and it just leads to this moment um, in October when Rick Rude and Jake the Snake uh, get into a cage. And it, literally there's not enough uh, blood away from... Billy Mays to get it off the mat. No, absolutely I could, not. I could see Rick Rude 
And Rick Rude would have to do it because it would make the most sense. He would have to juice so hard, and, I mean, it would just be, it would be, you know, on the Muda scale. Oh, yeah, um, big time. Post-Muda scale. Yeah. I mean, he, he'd have no face left. He looked like Joey Mercury at, uh, at Armageddon 06. <laughs> that, was, that, was, that was probably the worst I've ever seen um, yeah. is the Joey Mercury one. Uh, but, it, you know, it, it makes sense for the feud, and um, it's perfect. It Literally, it is, it is a perfect um, ending to what it's, what it's going to be. Um, I, I, I just, it's just awesome. I it think is it's awesome. It is. Um, and I did find that tag team match. It's actually Tito Santana and Jake Rude or Jake Roberts versus Rick Rude and Andre. But I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm thinking of another one, uh, that happened. Huh. Um, but still that would be fun to see, huh. you know, makes sense. Um, so yeah, there you go. Uh, that feud is is one of our bigger blood feuds going on. Um, and man, we have given these guys a hell of a card so far. We need to calm down a little bit. So let's calm them down when we uh, we put the Bolsheviks uh, against the Bulldogs. Um, <laughs> because nothing quiets a crowd down like the Bolsheviks. <laughs> exactly. Uh, we want to give the uh, the people a little a little break, a little opportunity because our next uh, three matches after this one are fucking juiced. Oh, okay? you big time. The, so the Bulldogs come out. We, we need to rebuild them a little bit, make them um, solid contenders because we've still got a team like the Rougeos that are strong that we need to keep strong. Um, we've got this group of individuals coming in in October um, who, who may or may not be one of the greatest tag teams of all time, um, and we'll get to them down the road. But then um, we've also got the Powers of Pain that are going to be a strong uh, heel tag team. And, um, you know, the Bulldogs get an easy win couple minutes uh, just to calm the crowd down, let them get ready, um, because our next three matches uh, define this card and uh, you know define why we put this trilogy together and uh, put an end to it. So whew, let's take a deep breath. Let's get ready. Yep. Because I want to say for the first time in – WWF pay-per-view history, even though it's not very long, a certain man is not on the final match of the card. That's right. Of course, he's not in our realm of the world, um, Wrestling Federation, but uh, we're going to have the immortal Hulk Hogan facing off against the million-dollar man, Ted DiBiase, a match that really hasn't happened yet. Um... And uh, wow, you know, uh, on on this on this size of a scale, um, with this kind of stuff on the line, um, again, this is where Jesse and Gorilla make their money by saying, um, yep. "This match could be the uh, could make the number one contender for the world title." We know that Hogan has a backdoor title shot, um, but he said that title shot was against the man who won at WrestleMania. Um, you know, and of course with Jack Tunney, there's always something that can be stirred up. Um, so Hogan is having to defend the title or defend and get that title shot again, and he's doing it against Ted DiBiase, a man he's been feuding with for almost a year at this point. Um, what are we looking here uh, with Ted DiBiase? Um, obviously, he's got his back up against the wall facing Hogan, um, especially with what we have lined up for our main event. Yeah. Uh... I think we need to have. I think there's going to be something here where Hogan maybe makes a, a you know, Hogan tells DiBiase, uh, uh, 
you beat me, you get my title shot, I beat you, and you have to give me something financial. Because obviously DiBiase's heart is in his wallet. So I almost feel you could put a stip there that says, you know, if you win, Million Dollar Man, you you get the title. You get my title shot. Mm -hmm. If I win, I gotta t- I, you got to spend money on whatever I ask you to. And, and he, he starts telling them to give to oh, charities, oh, yeah, and give yeah, to the little kids, and you've gotta, things that just, that, that just make – that just disgust him. <laughs> you've got to you do know? Make-A-Wish Foundation. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yes. <laughs> give money to the National Kids with Cancer Society. <laughs> exactly. You know, the, the fuck you uh, mean? <laughs> yeah. So uh, I, think it, I think the crowd's jacked. Um, they better get ready because we got to, like you said, the last, say, oh, 50 minutes of this show, uh, 50, 55 minutes, almost an hour of the show is going to be is going to be pretty top heavy and, and high energy. Yeah. High energy. Exactly. So uh, this match, I say, goes about 12 minutes. Um, DiBiase tries to cheat. Virgil tries to cheat. But, but Hogan defies the odds and hits the leg drop, big boot, et cetera, et cetera, and keeps is, I guess you would say, number one contender slot. And now, Ted DiBiase has moved down a little bit in the rankings, but we've still got guys that he can face. Oh, yeah, sure. Um, Hulk Hogan has cemented his spot as the number one contender for a title who we don't know is the champion yet. Um, and on top of it all, uh, you know, the winds of change have come, and uh, and things are going to be in a whirlwind. Um, so after this point... Um, we put a lot of emphasis on the tag team titles, and uh, we built this team, the Warlord and the Barbarian. Um, all summer have been uh, destroying people. They they beat the British Bulldogs, so they earn this shot. Um, they've got Mr. Fuji in their corner. It is now time for the showdown that should have happened, um, and that is with Demolition. Um, I think we both talked about this match. Uh, this is simply a setup for... What's going to happen down the line? Um, I think if I if I fast forward to summer or Survivor Series '88, I still have the teams, um, but I flip flop the captains, uh, you know, and I and I and that makes that match five point one star or you know <laughs> whatever it would be because it would be that much better if the teams were that way. Um, and uh, yeah, we we see demolition and the powers of pain go to a double countout. I think there's a lot more. Of this feud left, and we we keep that going by by having this uh, be a uh, a schmaz, uh, a brawl, uh, a big you know you know fuck fest of just everybody beating the shit out of each other uh, in front of Madison Square Garden and people going crazy. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is a good 13, 14 minutes, and uh, uh, they're just gonna they're just gonna go all out and they brawl out onto the onto the floor. And down the ramp, and eventually the referee just has to double, you know, count them out, and, and the match ends in a almost a, no, in a double count out. So nothing solved here. Demolition does retain their tag team championships, but these four teams, these four guys, just want to absolutely pummel each other. And uh, you know, that's one thing I love about Madison Square Garden and about these crowds. They're just bloodthirsty. That's what makes us East Coasters great. Absolutely. <laughs> and they they just they're just going to go all out and just just make it brutal. And, and these are teams that could do it, too, especially with, um, you know, the the momentum that we've built for these guys, um, uh-huh. the feud that we've put together. I think it's perfect, and this is a great spot to, 
to really start that because on the house shows, maybe we have different things going on, but here in front of the crowd, we want to, um, I know the WWF was notorious for having the same match over and over and over, uh-huh. but here uh-huh. we, we have a big moment in which, um, you know, it leads to a Saturday Night's Main event. It leads to a SummerSlam, our, uh, uh, Survivor Series. Keep getting these confused. Sorry, um, but uh, you know it, it all builds to that one thing that we have going on uh, down the line, and, and that's what this is all about. So, um, Powers of Pain and Demolition, good fight tonight. But you will definitely be meeting in the ring again. And now, Scott, uh-huh. it is time for the uh-huh. main event of the evening. In front of a sold out, what do we say, twenty thousand Madison Square Garden? Yeah, Garden? yeah. At its peak in the eighties, you could squeeze twenty two thousand in there. And you know that once these two names were put on the marquee, it was instant. It was uh-huh. sold out. Yep. Because, ladies and gentlemen, the Low Blow Booking Podcast has put it on paper what we wish would have happened. The Nature Boy Ric Flair is going to be facing. Randy Macho Man Savage for the undisputed WWF Heavyweight Championship of the World. And Scott, this is what I've got to say to that. And of course... The rebuttal is only apropos if you hear this. Wow. Two two men that are entrenched in... The emotion of professional wrestling. Randy Savage has had uh, a year of all years, and now he faces truly his greatest challenger in the Nature Boy, Ric Flair. There's a tear rolling down my cheek right now. <laughs> Could you imagine uh, those two themes playing? I mean, <sighs> the, the one thing I need to preface before we get into this is we have to be careful with the Elizabeth factor in this match. Uh-huh. And the reason is we've already played it up with Jake Roberts and Cheryl and uh, Rick Rude. Oh, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I wouldn't involve Elizabeth in anything. For now. For now. Right now, it's about the gold. It's all about being at the top of the the top of the mountain. And uh, I could. I can only think. The flash bulbs are popping. One standing on one end, one standing on the other. Now, we're saying Flair earned a title shot sometime in this month. He won a battle royal or some jazz. Um, how he got it is irrelevant. Jack Tunney could just hand it to him. It's it, way I just th- back in the Federation. I think Jack that even you, just could, hand things out. you could play that off and say, I signed a contract. And, you know, and you say that his first televised match is at uh, SummerSlam. You know, and I only wrestle for the world title. That's right. Yep. You know, and oh man, people would people would hate it. And he'd come out and he'd smack people around on Superstars and Wrestling Challenge. Um, I could see him and Bobby chumming up to each other, not Heenan family, but nope. just chumming up, associates, being, and just like Ted DiBiase was. Um, uh-huh. 
I could see him and DiBiase being buddies. Um, oh, man, it would just be glorious television. Um, and then it leads to this moment in front of a Madison Square Garden crowd. Um, Hebner is calling the match inside the ring. Uh, you've got Jesse and Gorilla just going absolutely nuts. Um, Gorilla saying there's no way that Flair should even have a shot. Uh, Jesse saying he's the only rightful man that should be champion. Um, you know, still giving credit to Macho, but um, that's the thing. I mean, Jesse's in a tough spot. This is probably two of his favorite guys ever. Yeah, it would so be. He's in a tough, and he was he was uh, he was um, he was gentle with Savage, even when Savage was a babyface. He, Jesse wouldn't jab him too hard. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he would just put this. I think it would be a lot like Andre and Hogan at WrestleMania three. I think Jesse would just put call this right down the middle and lean towards Flair, obviously. But uh, because one thing Jesse was always great at is he just he understood the gravity of the moment almost better than anybody. And this is and, this is a monumental moment in uh-huh. wrestling. And I give this match. Fuck it. 34 minutes. Yeah. I mean, this is finished on the card. We, we're going probably three hours and five minutes at this point. Um, yep. But fuck, is it worth it? And uh, uh, it's tough. But on this night in August in Madison Square Garden, we have a new uh-huh. world's heavyweight champion. The nature boy, Ric Flair, defeats... Randy Savage wins the title and flips the WWF on its on on its ass. I yep. mean, it, he says that there it, the rules have been broken. The rule book has changed. I've ripped it up, taken it yep. into the bathroom, and wiped my ass with it. And now I'm wearing your world title. Um, it, oh man, it's incredible to even think. I mean, the yep. promos. From here on out, and uh, oh, you know, then yep. then it can build into the Elizabeth stuff down the line, possibly if we want. Where uh-huh. you know, Flair says, uh, you know, I've taken your gold, and now I'm going to take your woman. Uh, you know, just and just and it's almost we we even talked about it a little bit with with DiBiase, and that's kind of what fueled that fire. And and with Flair, it's it's different and. Um, and maybe we don't even need Elizabeth because these two can talk it out and, and do work. Um, man, whoo, Ric Flair, yeah. Randy Savage, Madison Square Garden. I think it's perfect. Um, you know, I don't know if it's the greatest card of all time, but I definitely think it's, uh, an entertaining card. And I think oh, absolutely. That it, it's got stuff on there that, um, could be in the realm of reality. Um, and, uh, you know, the main event of course puts it over the top and, uh, you know, we have sent the crowd home with a heel champion at the end of the night, but all throughout okay. the evening, we've put the right guys in the right spots to be uh-huh. successful, um, for the next three months. Yep. Uh, especially in the winter months. Now we're, the kids are getting back into school. Um, we, we've capped the summer off and, uh, yeah, it's, it's big stuff. Uh, let's run down the card one more quick time. The Hart Foundation defeat the Rougeau brothers. Kurt Henning defeats Tito Santana. Brutus Beefcake defeats Haku. The Ultimate Warrior becomes the new Intercontinental Champion, defeating the Honky Tonk Man. The Big Boss Man destroys Coco Beware. Rick Rude and Andre the Giant uh, defeat Hacksaw Jim Duggan and Jake Roberts by DQ. 
The British Bulldogs defeat the Bolsheviks. Hulk Hogan defeats Ted DiBiase to earn a number one contender's uh, number one contender spot. He's the he's the next in line. Demolition and the Powers of Pain go to a double countout, and your new WWF Heavyweight Champion of the World, the Nature Boy Ric Flair, uh, defeating Randy Savage, taking the title, um, completely changing the scope of professional wrestling in a matter of. 35 minutes. Yep. And I and, and it, it lines up the baby faces, uh, and it leads you down a path of the match that, for all those years of Pro Wrestling Illustrated, uh, everybody thought was never going to happen, and everybody thought it wanted it to happen. Uh, maybe it does at WrestleMania five. Oh, let me just tell you that it, <laughs> if I get a wild hair at my ass, and we, we keep doing this, Ric Flair and Hulk Hogan are going to be facing each other at WrestleMania Five, and it's going to break the attendance record, or we're going to put it somewhere where it's going to be, you know, the we're, we, I'd, I'd put it in the Astrodome in '89. That'd be huge. Flair versus Hogan, WrestleMania Five in the Astrodome. Um, it's booked. I'll let you guys know how we get there uh, <laughs> because we're definitely going to be. Uh, I, I, I can't – I'd love to go back and look at 88 Survivor Series um, because in October, um, Ric Flair's got a couple of guys that come over and want to hang out with him. Um, oh, man. A certain double-A Arn Anderson and a certain uh, Tully Blanchard. Oh, my God. Um, we've got <laughs> uh, Randy Savage who is seething to get his hands on Flair in the title. Uh, we've got Hogan who says he's the number one contender. We've got – um, this ready-made feud with the Ultimate Warrior and possibly a guy like the Big Boss Man uh, with the Twin Towers. We've got you know this tag team feud with Demolition and the Powers of Pain. We've got uh, Brutus. We've got uh, Duggan. We've got Jake versus Andre uh, Rude and the Heenan family. I mean, this this, ladies and gentlemen, this is television, and yep. and this is building us because we've also got a guy like Mister Perfect, uh, Kurt Henning. Um, like I said, bad news Brown, and and we're gonna keep having guys come up uh, in '88 that are, you know, gonna reinvent themselves. The Hart Foundation. Oh yeah, by the way, we're gonna get this tag team called the Rockers, and there's a certain Shawn Michaels guy on the team who's gonna be phenomenal, and we're gonna start building them in and putting them into, um, into our promotion and and building up to, um, I think what would be the greatest WrestleMania of all time, uh, live from the Astrodome, and. Uh, if, if I get the wild hair, uh, Scott, we'll definitely have to go back and, and look at how this one night shaped that so that we could get in that spot. Uh, so many avenues that can be taken from here. Uh, if you remember, in real life, when uh, after uh, the, the Rockers and, and, uh, and uh, Arn and Tully debuted, they pretty much had a very solid, solid house show feud uh, or house show run. Uh, in early 89, in fact, on two uh, separate comps, comp uh, DVDs, I think one of them is Greatest Tag Teams, and there's one other. Uh, one, I think, is a match at Madison Square Garden, and one is a match, I think, Boston Garden. You want to talk about chemistry. Those two teams, wow. And that's what we have to look forward to here. And they just melded together. Yep. I mean, and now just... we have a new dynamic, though, because their boy is World Wrestling Federation champion. And 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 I think that I don't want to put Bobby Heenan with him. 
I, yeah, I, it's almost too automatic. Yeah, it's it's. Let's keep them apart. Um, you know, I'm interested to see what we do with the Heenan family. Then, um, man, there, I mean, there's just so much. And uh, now, correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't Marty Janetti not to blame for Arn Anderson, his injury? But wasn't he part of the issue that came above about that? Have you ever heard that story, or my? No. I don't. I haven't heard that story. I, I believe it's a show, and and something goes wrong. It's kind of like the Dynamite Kid back kick, um, and I may be completely wrong. I'm, but I'm almost positive I heard this story. Um, huh. You know, they were wrestling in something. That's when Arn started to have the issues in his back. Because um, I remember the Nitro in which it was kind of like his last run, and uh, Luger um, had an issue with it. Uh, did something, and that was kind of his last. Hurrah. Um, but I believe hearing him on a shoot interview or something say that it kind of started um, back at this point in time when he started the uh, feud with uh, the Rockers. Huh. So uh, those of you out there that, that listen to the podcast, um, if you could check on that, um, I'm going to try and do some research because I, I thought I remember hearing that. I Not like, you know, Marty Jannetty stiffed him hard and, you know, fucking Arn Anderson couldn't wrestle after that. Nowhere near that. But it, I think it was like a something happened where it just didn't go right, and that's where he started to have some of his issues. But um, you couldn't tell because the guy still did work for uh, ten years almost. So, yeah. um, wow, what a show! Yeah, Scott, I I have to tell you, I uh, I've enjoyed this thoroughly. Um, uh-huh. We've been we've talked here for uh, over two and a half hours uh, combined um, tonight. Uh, we put together uh, a monumental show, in my opinion, of uh, one of the greatest um, eras of pro wrestling, and and you know we've capped it all off with changing the face of the WWF. Uh, the Nature Boy is here. Uh, Randy Savage has fallen. Hulk Hogan has is rising, and uh, wow, the 1988 trilogy, the Low Blow Booking Podcast, comes to an end with the sounds of the Nature Boy. Uh, winning the world title. So I want to thank you so much, Scott. I know that it's late where you're at. Um, it's late here. Uh, it's been great working with you. Um, I'm looking forward to the next time we get to do something. Um, I'm always looking for fun ideas. So if you've got something, uh, you know, scrounging around in your mind, you know, let's put uh-huh. it together. Let's throw it out here. Um, sure. I wanted to give you a quick moment, uh, plug what you got going on here this next week. I know you got so many different things, um, you know, going on with the place to be nation and, and everything you've got going. Well, we've uh, obviously, uh, the place to be podcast myself and, uh, and Justin Rosero. And we, uh, we, uh, we re- shows go up pretty much every week. Uh, we have the Kevin Kelly show, uh, that Justin does with, uh, the former WWF announcer. And of course, uh, I have a show called place to be nation's main event roundtable discussion on modern day wrestling, uh, we've got, uh, some other great podcasts on there that where the big boys play Chad Parv. Uh, we now have worked in an agreement with, uh, the history of WWE.com's Graham Cawthon, who is, uh, who has now joined us on a pretty much full-time basis and two new podcasts joining there as well. Um, so a great combination of, uh, of your show, what we have some of the best stuff out there, uh, maybe the best stuff out there. So place nation.com, your home for everything, pop culture, uh, check it out. Just like check out this show. Check out the trilogy of shows. That's right. Um, uh, it's, uh, it's been an honor, DC. Uh, I've man. had fun. I've had a blast tonight. I, Anytime I, I can I can glom over Ric Flair with someone, 
<laughs> I got no problem with it at all. So. Oh, it's been good. Uh, you know, real quick, of course, like I've said before, uh, the Low Blow Booking Podcast, we're on Podbean, um, coming at you through iTunes. We've also got a Facebook page. Um, just definitely go up there, search for uh, the Low Blow Booking Podcast. Um, check us out. Give us a share. Give us a retweet. Um, do whatever you can to, to uh, continue to push this show. Like I said, we have got some huge stuff coming up. Uh, like I said, next month, Dave Hall and I are going to be coming at you with a Summit 1990. We may record two shows next month um, and try and get some other things out there. Uh, Bret Hart staying in the WWF in 1997 is up there. Um, a little talent trade stuff. Um, hey, what if we took the CM Punk angle from 2011 and actually did it the right way? Um, just some taste of, of some stuff. And, man, I'm excited for it. I'm excited that we got to do this. I'm excited to put an end to it. And, uh, you know, to new beginnings here, 2015, it's going to be a great year. Um, it starts right now. Thank you so much, Scott. It's been a pleasure. Um, again, everybody, check out theplacetobenation.com. Uh, and, uh, again, thank you so much, sir. It's been an honor.